Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the China Shop. We know it's not your first time here because that would be weird <laughs> kicking open the doors today we got another special guest interview today all lined up for you i'm shopkeeper dan with me as always is kyle creator of financialinstitute.com kyle how's your day going it has not been good <laughs> this uh this this interview though has been the single bright spot in my day oh well <laughs> that's fantastic because we are joined today by prop trader dan springer how you doing today, Dan? I'm good. How are you? Up to fantastic. Fantastic. But that's because I, I wasn't hitting the trades this morning. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the market was uh, was quite an ugly beast this morning. I can say that to, to be the least. So Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm 21 years old. I turned 21 two days ago. Um, I'm a technical trader who has a lot of quantitative analysis incorporated into how I do things. I've been working the financial markets since about 2018 when someone, and I realized a member of my family uh, managed private equity. I realized that, you know, the more I looked into that, the more I had a passion for it. And I found out that there were lots of quote unquote trading education sites on the internet. And I fell uh, into a scheme first and foremost with my education oh. with, training, with uh, a little thing called IML Academy, which I know isn't a great thing to introduce trading with, but um, it ended up being a blessing because when I first entered, I wasn't really focused on the business building side of it because they were a bit of a pyramid scheme. Um, I was more focused on just trying to learn, you know, what do the markets do? And, you know, I was I was so willing to get information from anywhere that I didn't really stray off of that for a little while. Probably stay with mm -hmm. them for six months. But then I got some real technical analysis training and actually, you know, found some good teachers. Uh, a mentor was the biggest thing for me um, that made a difference. And I started learning how to do um, just liquidity style trading and technical analysis. And then I'd say in 2021, early, mid, early to mid 2021, I started studying for the uh, Chartered Market Technicians Level 1 Curriculum Exam. Um, oh. And that's basically just uh, a set of letters that you can get after your name that basically means you know how to do technical analysis with someone else's money. Um, it's a lot of studying. There's three textbooks you have to go through. The first one is just about price patterns, probabilities, doing statistics, stuff like that, the really simple stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second and third ones are all about, you know, how to quantitatively manage a portfolio, how to hedge against risk on a macro scale, how to do a lot of these. And then the third textbook, I haven't gotten to that yet. I haven't looked into any of it whatsoever. So I'm assuming that those concepts are also going to be quite advanced. But recently, it's just been prop desk trading with me and a couple other people that trade with me. Um, I want to uh, dive more into that, uh, but first I got to go back. Uh, you, you said you mentioned a scheme, a uh, pyramid scheme. Like I'm not familiar with this. Can you can you tell us what happened? Oh my that? gosh! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it was 20, 2018, 2019, uh, 
there was a pyramid scheme that I had been roped into by someone who came to my graduation party. And when I, uh, when I started talking to them, they had mentioned that they did trading. And so I started following their social media, looking into what they were doing. It just turned out to be a multi-level marketing system where you had to onboard people and you would get recurring income and whatever you paid for the trading information back. And they tried to tout it as you can live your your own, you know, work work one hour a day or two hours a day. And and then you just live your life and you make money from your phone. You turn your phone right. on ATM, all the really cliche things that rookie traders and new traders fall to every single time. Um, and, you know, everybody, I think, had to go through a period of that where they had to sift through a lot of really bad information to realize it was bad information and then actually get some good information and be like, oh, learning really helped. And I'm not going <laughs> to sit on my high horse and be like, you know, I didn't go through signal groups or I didn't like watch a whole bunch of YouTubers to learn some of the stuff that I learned. Like I did the exact same thing that a lot of really normal retail traders do. The only difference is that I actually took a lot of time to learn how to do like quantitative research and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I got, I got roped into a, a pyramid scheme that ended up taking like two and a half grand from me over the course of like, of all the things that you could have, I mean, that is a very cheap education. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah I would yeah. say um, <laughs> yeah. as bad as it could have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could have, I could have learned a lot of different ways. You know, one of the mentors that I learned under, he, he had to lose 20 grand of his own money to be able to fully learn and understand how the market moves because he just described that as your brain retains things about the market so much differently when legitimate real equity and real capital are involved with your investments and with the trading that you do. That, yes, yes. Yeah. So when he blew all of it, he was like, okay, well, I know what not to do now. And so then he worked for another four or five years, saved money. <laughs> We got like 15k together and then i mean i don't want to sound exaggerative and sometimes i hesitate to tell this story but he turned it into like 300 grand so he's done pretty well for himself and he's uh, yeah i'd say so was he doing uh options with that or futures what was he, he doing actually started doing options a couple of years ago but he was mainly an equities trader and futures trader so that was kind of how he was moving about so stocks and futures really um he started doing options recently and by recently i mean like a year or two ago um i haven't actually kept up to date with how his options profits are going he was super really he, he was super super good at technical analysis just as a baseline which is always helpful um just because you know efficient market hypothesis is it has it has a little bit of a flexible definition nowadays just with the with the abundance of retail traders and so i think that technical analysis is actually becoming more of a respectable art than it has before and so it makes sense that he's seeing success with that and getting to learn from that too was mm -hmm. a really really big opportunity but yeah, I, I would say the, the best education in trading doesn't come from a place you can pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, it's a lot of screen time. Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely a lot of screen time. It's it's funny though. You you I think you touched on something that that sucks in most people into trading to start with, and that's the 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 allure of a quick buck. I yes, think, right. It's always marketed as uh, you can be done in an hour and make more money than you've ever yeah. made in your dreams. And yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, twenty seconds a day. Rich. <laughs> yeah, you see the you see the fifteen k in fifteen seconds, traders mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. whatever. When in the background, so we, we. I mean, you've just gotten funded recently with a, a proprietary firm, right? Yes, yes, I did just recently get funded with a firm. How how much effort and time and energy have you put in to to reach that goal? Like, what kind of what are we talking about here? Was it one hour a day? <laughs> I really, I really wish it was an hour a day. Um, I think I'd have more of a social life. It was just, if it was just an hour a day, right. um, but no, I, I legitimately would spend anywhere between like two and three hours a day, um, 
looking at the markets and looking at the charts. Mm-hmm. I actually have my school scheduled right now so that my classes don't start until 1245 my time, which, and the markets open up at 630, which leaves all that time for me to do whatever I want. And that's been going that way for four months now. So you can do, you know, the math on just how many hours recently I've spent on it, but over the course of, you know, what is it? Four years, five years now it's, you know, yeah. Two to three hours a day consistently is probably what I've been looking at just because like I never really bought into, um, financial institution systems until later in my college education. And so Mm -hmm. I was super dedicated to trying to find something outside of that. And I started earlier than most people start too. And so that's kind of, that plays into it as well. But is there a reason why you're trying to stay away from the institutional side? Um, I think that the, the more I look at different people that I surround myself with in my circle that I spend time with, they, they spend a lot of time trying to come up with ideas outside of that. And I really envy that. And I really look up to that and I've tried to model my way of thinking around that. Um, you know, they're looking for opportunities where there's crisis opportunities, where there's inefficiency opportunities, where there's need. Um, and we, we like to look at those situations a lot and think about who do we know that can help us create a solution for these problems. And, you know, we've been having a lot of success with that recently. There are lots of projects that we've been lined up with. You know, Arizona has one of the uh, largest populations in the country of elderly and one of the largest numbers of reports of back pain and normal pain. And so, you know, we were able to find a, a really, really good, um, high quality CBD supplier. And we have a lot of clients who come to us now because we can give them a lower price than dispensaries can give them and a lower price than, you know, other herbal shops can give them because they're going directly from who we source from. And so that makes it easier for them. And we just look for opportunities like that. It's not any huge, um, like scheme or plan. You know what I mean? So it's not like you're not sitting at a desk, like just trading their funds, like watching the futures market every day. Uh, no, I don't, I don't do that necessarily. I look for, I look for opportunities where I can see there's a, there's a, a major shift in the balance of where money is going. Right. Ah. I, I like to watch. So this is where the quantitative part of my research this is where it comes in. I like to watch liquidity a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't give obviously any financial advice because I don't have my series six. I don't have my series seven or 66 or any of these licenses that are going to allow me to legally tell someone what to do with their money. I think that goes without being said. Well, plus this is a educate or not. This is an entertainment podcast. Yeah. Oh, I don't think we played the disclaimer for him. Oh yeah. You didn't hear the intro. There'll be one in the intro. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Um, I, I I was, I, my mentors always taught me every single time I go anywhere. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't tell anyone that I know what I'm doing or that I even think I know what I'm doing. But at the end of the day, I have a lot of hours and a lot of research into it. So you can decide to trust what I say or not. Um, I follow liquidity data quite a bit. I use it to do forecasting um, and not to specific price points because I'm not good at, um, what is it, fair value calculations. I haven't really learned how to do that yet. And that's something that you learn how to do with, I've, I've actually found out from some educational institutions that teach market analysis. Um, that's kind of aside from the point. I look for how money moves on a macro scale. Um, so if I know money is pouring into the economy, then you know I may have a higher likelihood of putting my money into specific sectors of the economy. So like consumer staples or utilities, things along those lines. And really recently, I've just been playing a lot of the defensive sectors just because there's so much capability for capitulation and a crash in the near future here that I just, I just don't want to play anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's a big, that's a big part of it is following liquidity. And then I also love, you know, classical technical patterns. I mean, I like when, you know, a head and shoulders will show up on the four hour time frame. That's always, always a good sign for me. I like seeing 
falling wedges and rising wedges, those help me make decisions as well. And so that's, that's a big part of it. But in the mornings when I have that free time, like I mentioned, and I think this is, this is what you're asking and you correct me if I'm wrong, but that time really is just spent, you know, researching opportunities, looking into opportunities and then monitoring, like where, where is money going? Where is, or where are big financial institutions putting their money? So how can you see that then? So that's, that's, that's a fantastic question. So there are lots of paid resources you can use. Um, I use two paid resources specifically. I use level two market data. Um, mm-hmm. There are some brokers that offer that. I pay for it. And then I also use options flow, which allows me to see the ratio of puts to calls in the market on any major index or any major stock um, or any major ETF for that matter. And I can mm-hmm. make decisions based off of that. You can see kind of where the retail crowd is going. You can see if there's unusual orders that go in. And I don't use any of these as a telltale decision for me to make, a telltale sign for me to make a decision, but I do use all of them contextually to help me gain a bias of where the market is going or what the market might want to do. Um, everything's quantitative. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that you guys have heard a little bit about this. Um, just the fact that, you know, bigger institutions, financial institutions, hedge funds, pension funds, so many of them now are turning to quantitative formats and quantitative reasoning. And that's the reason they're making their investments. And so um, you see algorithms making decisions on a mathematical basis with things like 50% retracements, other things, um, yeah. just with a, with a basic Fibonacci number. Um, they're doing math that's much more complicated than that. And so using some of the data that's provided publicly to all of us, it's possible to get a view of that. And so I think that the biggest issue and the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome when I was getting to my funded next my, my trading account was realizing that there are a million pieces to this puzzle, right? Cause it's a complex adaptive system, right? But you, there are specific factors that play the biggest roles, right? The queen will tell queen ant will tell the worker ants where to go and how to move. And that's not a perfect analogy for the markets, but it does kind of compare the two adaptive systems to each other to kind of make sense of it. Does that, am I making any sense? Uh, you're looking at the the financial institutions to kind of give you a gauge of which way things are going. Like they're the ones that move the market. So it makes sense to pay attention to them. Is yeah, that, absolutely. That sum it up. Yeah, that sums it up fantastically. Yep. Retail traders, I mean, not, not to be you know, like dismal or mean in any way, they provide a lot of liquidity. And so when there is that spike in the number of people who are participating in the markets who aren't educated and are coming at it with more of a gambling mindset, it becomes... Uh, there, there, there are opportunities for a lot of people to lose a lot of money. And so because it's an even sum game, it, it always has to be that way. But there are people who are educated enough and it's possible to be educated enough that you are often on the right side of those transactions. Okay. Can you please say that again? Even side, even sum game. Can you explain what you mean by that? So in every situation in the markets, at least in the markets that I'm working with, there is always going to be uh, a buyer and a seller. At the end of the day, as far as I'm aware, everybody's going to end up with uh, with an order or without an order, right? So all the shares are going to be exchanged. As far as I know, there's going to be no float or everybody is going to win or everybody's going to lose. There's nobody in the middle. Does that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Ex- and I might be explaining that wrong. If you guys know um, more specifically about some of this stuff, you can correct me. I'm not touting, like I said, anything on my high horse. I've just done a lot of time just looking at the markets and reading charts and reading excerpts. No, I asked because we just recently had a discussion with somebody and I can't remember who exactly it was, but I made that observation. Yeah. That, you know, for in order for you to make money, like somebody's losing money. Yeah. Somebody somewhere, something, some like the money comes from somewhere. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, like, can you live with that? <laughs> right. Is that okay? And so 
Yeah, that's a that's a really if you if you remember who it was, I would love to go back and watch that specific podcast of your guys. Dan, do you remember? Because they they tried to they argued the opposite of that. They said they didn't believe it was a zero sum game, but I don't think I really fully understood. Hmm. Was that was that Smolinski? Uh, maybe. I'm gonna go have to. I'm gonna have to go back into your guys' archives and watch that because I watched a couple of your guys' episodes before coming on. I like I like the guys to eat the interview, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to go back and find that. <laughs> yeah, oh man, I can't remember because I remember being. I wanted to explore that a little further, but uh, I think we just ran out of time. But that's interesting that you you had the same observations, and I feel like maybe I, I'm onto something, and I let myself get bullied by a guest too easily. <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody has their own interpretation of the market and that was one of the things that my mentors taught me is that you know I, I told them that i wanted to trade with other people and they both like looked at each other and they looked at me and they were like so you are really you know you you've learned from a decent place how to make decisions and not everyone has and so the danger of yep. doing this with other people is that they're going to be able to convince you occasionally that you know the decision making you're doing is wrong mm-hmm. when it's actually right and so I just, I, I think that that's really, really, it, it's, it's almost comforting to know that like, I'm not the only person who can have my decision-making swayed often. Oh yeah. Like, I think we've all seen that. Yeah. That's how, that's how we are. And I think that that's part of what makes the market so difficult for a lot of people too. What's, but what's, what's interesting, uh, uh, actually before I jump in, Dan, do you had something you wanted to contribute there a minute no, ago? No, not, not at all. Go right ahead. Oh, Dan, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I, um, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, what the hell were we just saying? <laughs> tried to seed it to dan so he could have his moment in the sun <laughs> i just lost my train of thought you're good i can <laughs> oh uh, about uh yeah about uh um getting distracted from like your ideas when you when you trade with other people like you start mm-hmm. oh, yeah. like their biases can start to influence yours uh, i've definitely seen that but one of the things that i've been coming around to lately as as i learn and observe and and try to make sense of this game mm. Is that uh, the strategies that you trade like, uh, don't really matter? Mm-mm. Like all that really matters is can you manage risk and can you take profits when they're available? Like do you have a good risk management profile? Do you have good R factors on the trade ideas that you have? Like, oh yeah. There's and this. when you start to stray out of that and outside of your comfort zone because other people are are you know convincing you that maybe your idea was wrong. Like when you're not executing your strategy, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you let someone else make the decisions for you, when the system that you have that you created is what you have faith in, it you know, you're throwing another variable into a system that you're trying to get as closed as humanly possible. Right? You're trying to make sure that you are you are only exposing yourself to areas, times and locations in the market where you have an edge over what the market does or at least with what the market does and over mm-hmm. other people. Like for example, I think most you know, this is just this is just one example. I of all the factors that I use, there's one that you know just super simple that I've been following recently, and it's just the twenty. It's the 2008 crash recession chart laid over the 2022 crash recession chart. Have either of you seen it? No. It is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I've only been trading for like five years, four years, and I already know that this is like I don't want to be the doomsday sayer, and I'm not a perma bear by any means. But this does look pretty disastrous, like 1970, 1980s type levels. I'm trying to look that up right now. I, I overlaid using, have you ever looked at like the McClellan oscillator for inflow outflow? I've heard that's a really, really fantastic classical technical indicator to use, but I actually haven't done a lot of research into any of McClellan stuff whatsoever. 
I uh, at the beginning of this year was looking at the the build up to the 2008 2009 and mm -hmm. where we were at and was yeah. like this is looking ex like exactly the same outflow patterns going yeah. on yeah uh, yeah and I, I shared that on our discord Kyle way back when oh yeah if, okay. you, if you recall I thought I had seen something some of that oh so we're just uh, getting to the point where the capitulation is about to happen yeah, you look at those two charts over late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm oh. glad you found it. And so, I I've been using that liquidity models to help me kind of get an idea of of are people leaving the market? Are people who know what's going on, who know better than me, are they leaving? Are they cutting their vets? Are they getting out? Because I mean, that's that might be part of what we're seeing right now. I mean, we saw what was it, 1,200 points last Friday? Uh, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what what kind of opportunity does that create, right? Especially coming after CPI, that like that creates opportunities for large institutions to get out of any bad positions they have left. Yep. So I don't I don't like constantly trashing on large institutions because there are some situations where people like the plunge protection team are helping sustain some of what we've got going on with the markets right now. Um, the fact that we're not crashed yet, the fact that they might hold it into November and wait until the election passes. That's you know, those the, all those types of factors play into it. So Back to talking about, you know, other people giving inputs about your trading system. Part of the reason that that doesn't work is because part of developing your trading system is getting stung. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you got to lick your wounds. Yeah. And, and it's hard for other people to understand what, what licking your own wounds is like, how you specifically psychologically cope with taking a loss. And are getting punched in the face <laughs> yeah or, or getting your face ripped off in an unexpected bull move before a giant crash and infect everyone out and so it's just it's it's one of those things where once you can only learn these lessons after you've fallen into these pitfalls or unless you know someone who fell into these uh pits right before you did or before you did in general mm -hmm. and that that actually leads me to a question to for you guys if you don't mind me asking is that okay oh yeah I'm I'm curious about your guys' risk profile and the way that you guys specifically structure the trades that you look for. I, I've like I've said, I looked a little bit into your guys' episodes before I came here, but I'm still a little bit curious about the way you guys do things because you know I'm I'm new to investing in trading still generally and I'd like to learn. Uh so what like can you uh narrow the question down a little bit more? Do you guys do you guys <laughs> do you guys practice fundamental analysis or do you guys practice technical analysis? We are both, I think, more on the technical analysis side of things, and that's just because of, I think, who helped us initially. I think, yeah, yeah, we met with George Papazov, who's one of our first guests, and he set us up with the courses at Trade Pro Academy, and from there we mm -hmm. were able to to jumpstart our learning. That's really that's really awesome. And you guys, Trade Pro Academy, I saw looked like a really really well rounded education site. I didn't look into a ton of the reviews. But from two people who did it themselves, you guys, you would have to recommend it to anyone else who would want to get into trading and investing? Oh, I would. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and do you think that I, I think a lot of people who are starting or don't have a lot of faith in the markets or are skeptical about it might look at the price tag and be a little bit skeptical. What would, yep. you, what would you say to people who have uh, qualms with how much it costs to start? Uh, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that's just it. when something's free. There's a reason why it's free, <laughs> right? If if I was gonna go to school to be a respiratory therapist, how mm -hmm. much is that gonna cost? Oh gosh, upwards of a hundred, right? Right. And if I'm gonna go to school to learn how to trade and how to work on the market, like, upwards of two thousand thousand. 
Right, like at Trade Pro Academy, like I don't know. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's not really healthy. a bargain for that education. Absolutely. Well, uh, my other question would be too to other people who are hesitant to to actually pay for education. It's like, well, one, like I understand, like the use all the free resources you can at first. And if you're still into it and you still want to take another step, then that's when you start looking to the things that actually cost money. Yeah. How much? How much did you lose when you were first starting out? It's a great how question. How much would that have saved you? So if I had spent the money on the education, the right education, I would have saved myself probably like four grand. Like as a 17-year-old, mm-hmm. as a, as a 18-year-old who was getting started and thought, you know, Icarus found his wings, yeah. I, I would have right. most definitely uh, saved a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of time specifically. And that's the whole reason we're a part of this. Um, I would have saved a lot of time if I had gone through that. I don't think I would have needed to spend, you know, as many hours in front of the chart. I think spending the hours that I did is not something I regret. And I don't think it's something that anybody should regret for that matter. But no. I do think that all of us are in the business of investing, trading, and managing our money because we want our time. That seems mm-hmm. to be the general prevalent theme of all humanity is that the quicker we can get our hands on money, the quicker we can get our time back into our own hands because systems are set up so that we sell our time. And that's just how things are. And, you know, there's there's lots of ways you can break out of it too. And mm-hmm. trading and investing was just the one that drew me in the most personally. Um, and I think that's because of the opportunity that it provided for me to be completely independent of other people. Um, at least that's what I thought at first, right? Until you go, until you go in further and you have the discussion that we had earlier when you realize that you are taking money out of someone else's pocket. Right. When that, you know, and when you, when you realize that you have that moral dilemma, but you know, that's something we already discussed, but I think it takes, you know, on top of, you know, questioning, you know, are you going to spend a hundred K to go to respiratory nurse school or are you going to spend, you know, whatever it may be to get a good trading education? You know, I, I would a hundred percent stick with what you guys endorse because clearly, you know, that's, that's what's worked pretty well. Um, you know, I would also say like there's there's lots of opportunities that you can utilize outside of just learning how to use that. So you can do what I did. You can you can go to a proprietary desk and you can try to challenge that. You know, and what I will say is this: I don't endorse anybody to go do a proprietary account. I think generally it's it's built for gamblers. Um, with that mm. said, the only reason I went to go do a proprietary account at all was because I've been profitable on my own for like two years and I grew a large amount of my own capital and that was nice. And now that I've gotten to the point where, you know, I don't have the same desire to risk my own capital because I'm a college student, I would rather shift it over to making sure that someone else is taking all the risk for me. You know, I'm starting to understand what risk exposure is for my own capital and what all these other different things are in the market that, you know, define how you properly manage a portfolio how you properly manage money. And like you guys said, how you properly manage risk. And so when you realize that it's all just a game of risk, I'd rather at the end of the day, I'd rather be investing with someone else's money than my own. And if I mm-hmm. get a license to do it, I'm going to go after that. It seems to make sense. Yes, it does. Uh, spe- speaking of which though, um, like one of the spots that I'm in right now that I'm, I'm actually finding like one of my biggest struggles is the difference between SIM and live. If I flip over to SIM, like mm-hmm. I can be up you know 100 points like within 30 minutes yeah pretty quickly oh yeah Uh, as soon as you go to live then you start hesitating second guessing yourself uh like it's it's different like like you said Mm -hmm. at the very beginning like we we register the information different when our own capital is at risk yeah 
Like, do you have any steps or anything that you've done to help you get over that? So that that's that's such a fantastic question. Um, yes. So the first thing I did was get a prop account. That was the other reason I got a proprietary account was because mm-hmm. what I'm actually risking is whatever it costs me to challenge and get the account in the first place. And that is the baseline of risk for whatever I'm making for the rest of my time trading. As long as I'm trading someone else's money, they're actually absorbing the risk. And so that was the first thing. I was like, I think that I'll be able to trade with a clear head if I'm trading someone else's money. And I know that that seems counterintuitive when you say it out loud like that, but it's the truth. Um, because we are risk averse beings. That's how we're mm-hmm. in the program. Um, the second thing is making sure that you have confirmation from other people. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a few names just because I think that, um, having good people to follow and learn from is important. Um, mm-hmm. there's a couple people on Twitter that I think that every person who is a day trader should follow. I think first they should follow a guy named Max Anderson. Um, he does software as a service. He takes businesses from zero to NASDAQ. And he is one of the people that I follow and have been funding my, not funding, but uh, modeling my liquidity models after. Um, I did it a little bit different than he does it. He likes to use um, overnight reverse repossession. Um, I do something a little bit different and it works just fine for me. Everybody has their own way of doing things. Um, the other one is a guy named Robert Baylan. Um, he has a fake account right now, so you should watch out for that. Um, Baylan? Bay Lan with an N, like N L-A- Nigel L A N. Yeah, L A N Bay Lan. Yeah, yep. um, he is the lead quantitative analyst at Seeking Alpha. Um, he's been doing fantastic with his returns over the past couple of years. His models and liquidity models have been fantastic. His quantitative analysis has been really good, and he posts publicly everything about his swing trading portfolio, his single contract futures portfolio, everything. It's really really cool to see um, a couple of really experienced guys placing trades, running their servers, and you have the opportunity to um, see what they're doing kind of from a distance. And obviously, mm-hmm. pay for some of these guys' services. For example, Max offers copy trading, and it'll show you his portfolio and his returns before you you know, go into copy trading and learning what he does. I don't endorse that. I haven't done that. I don't plan to do that. You can pay for Seeking Alpha subscription for Robert if you want to. Lots of fantastic information there. But I think that finding good references and people that you trust is another mm-hmm. fantastic way to build conviction for your trade ideas and for your investment ideas. Um, the third thing is just backtest the crap out of either the way you think or the technical strategy you have. Just go back and take every single entry, good or bad. The more honest you are about the backtesting you do, the more bad entries you are willing to take, the more realistic you're going to be able to be with your expectations of trade entries when you enter into them. For example, anybody can go back and backtest and only pick out good entries or pick out, you know, this was when, you know, day traders were most active or this was when day traders were least active or mm-hmm. I'm only going to test this strategy during ranging markets or I'm only going to test this strategy during trending markets. Well, trending markets move a direction for the majority of the time and ranging markets have pretty basic fundamentals when it comes to their highs and lows. So you have to test the strategy in conjunction with all uh, market environments. And so just removing that bias from backtesting by itself can be difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you're putting in the effort to do really honest and sincere backtesting. That's another really huge thing that will increase your ability to have conviction when you're going into a trade. And so these days I've been, you know, I feel like I've been in a bit of a flow. Um, I've been lucky enough to hit a couple winners. I actually got faked out by the CPI move at first, and I did have a little bit of a loss there, but just because I 
you know, what's one of my rules that if a momentum trade goes against me, um, you know, will break support or break resistance and cause a bear trap or a bull trap, I will have equal conviction to reverse my position as I had to enter my position. Sometimes this burns me. Hmm. A lot of the time this covers up any losses that I had made because I made the wrong decision. Um, I've actually tried to preach that to some of the people that I talk to um, in my community. I let them know that, you know, if you are, if you have a reason to believe the market's going to go a direction, you know, A, there's probably a billion people or a hundred million other people that see that, right? Mm -hmm. And B, there are traders much bigger than the hundred million that see that and they're going to want to collect all that money. <laughs> so you, right. you really have to, uh, you really have to look at it from the perspective of someone is constantly, constantly, constantly trading against you. And so that doesn't mean be a contrarian because contrarians also don't tend to be great traders either, but mm -hmm. take into consideration the fact that someone is trying to play you and that you should just keep your eye out or be thinking critically about your own trade decisions. You know what I mean? That's an excellent point. I like to uh, try and attempt something similar when I draw my levels. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'll be like, oh, this is a pullback level, or it could be a breakout level. Or it could be both, right? Maybe a or pullback and both. a breakout have both happened at this level in the past. Right, right. It, I try to look at it as like, this is a line, and I want to see what happens at the line. I could be buying puts. I could be buying calls. Yeah, but that's going to be the area I make the decision to buy yeah. my puts or calls. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, and that's that's a fantastic way of looking at it. In that there's these these levels are just levels where market activity is going to increase. People are going to be making decisions at these levels. That's all they really mean, and that's why market that's not market two level two market data is kind of helpful. I don't know if you guys done research into that before. Uh, I mean, we trade. I trade mostly futures, so I mean, I'm staring at a dom. Okay, yeah, yeah, I was about to say if you're, if you're if you're staring at depth of market, then that's 100 percent, yeah, level two. But yeah. yeah, you can you can use that. I'm assuming as well in in tandem with you know these these price levels to get a bit of an idea of how these how the price wants to move through these price levels. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the more we do this, the more it's like okay, these are the fight zones. These are where I anticipate action. First, when we get to that zone, do I see that action happening? Are people interested? Yeah. And then you can start looking at, okay, well, who's more interested? <laughs> who's winning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's you, got the, who's got the momentum at this point? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I've been trying to see if I can use volume profile to, you know, summate similar types of data. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been interesting because for things like, you know, visible range volume profile, where the, the metrics are skewed based on, you know, the number of price points you can see. Um, it'll change and sometimes give inverse data. Sometimes it'll give the correct data because what I've, what, and I'm sure you guys have probably noticed this too, is that certain levels just aren't respected whatsoever. Like you'll draw them, mm -hmm. you'll see that it's got three points on the bottom, three points on the top or whatever it may be that it, the price comes back to that frequently. But then we come back to that later on in time and it's just not respected whatsoever. And so it's difficult sometimes if you're not looking at depth of market to be able to identify whether or not a level is going to be a level where fights happen. So Mm -hmm. That's actually a really interesting point. Um, I'm curious, and I've been trying to figure this out recently, if the Greeks and studying the Greeks, the Greek elements of options like theta and delta and gamma, I'm, I'm curious to see how those play out into making decisions with day trading and intraday trading. Because delta, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, do you trade options or is that Kyle? I trade, I trade options. Okay. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong about this, but delta is the rate at which something is accelerating, correct? Uh, 
as far as the options go? Yeah, as far as the options go. Is that the, price, the, the rate at which the price is accelerating in a certain direction? It's the, uh, the, it's the change that you should expect to see for $1 change in the underlying. So a 30 delta, the option contract should increase by 30 cents if the underlying increases by a dollar. Okay. Right. That makes so, sense. So it, I, I feel like you were describing the same thing with different terms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that, that makes sense. You know, the rate, the rate at which the underlying assets price changes is, and it's a, it's a ratio, you know, if it moves at a dollar, the option may not move exactly evenly with that. Um, that makes sense. Um, and again, these things, I'm, I'm curious to know, do you think that these play any sort of role in the minds of traders who are, are making decisions like, like you're making decisions on like the five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute time frame levels? Do you think those are being taken into consideration there? Absolutely. Yeah. I think they should be. <laughs> Whether or not people are doing that is a different story. So why, why in your opinion, I'm curious about this because this isn't an answer that I have. Why, why do you think that it should be? paid more attention to than it is currently on those lower levels. Well, how many people do you see who take a trade and they have the right idea, but it doesn't pay them because the volatility or the time it takes is too long. Like they're playing like zero day expiration lotto tickets and you know, the price <laughs> stagnates for 30 minutes. Like, well, you're going to get killed on theta. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have theta decay happen. And that's, that's the only term I'm familiar with, with options. I will, I will. Uh, the other one is Vega and you can see Vega decay happen too. Like oh, the, yeah. as things, you know, after you get through like the initial opening, like the first five minutes, you start taking trades in the first five minutes of the day, you like, you'll get burned on Vega decay too. So explain the concept of Vega decay, if you don't mind. All so, right. Go ahead, Dan. I, I was just going to say where I see it most often is like, uh, uh, earnings, right? Like, like there'll be earnings will be tomorrow and be like, oh, well, I expect a big move up or down. So I'll just buy a straddle. I'll buy a call and a put the same strike can't lose. Well, the Vega, the volatility decay uh, the next day after the earnings will deflate both the value of the puts and the calls at the same time. And and even though, like, say the put is now closer in the money, there's so much I paid so much extra for the Vega. Mm -hmm. And that, that value of that Vega is now gone mm -hmm. and I don't end up making any money. And that's, see, that's one of the reasons. So when you talk about Vega decay and theta decay specifically, that's the kind of trading and that's the kind of investing that I want to break into, right? Those are the kinds of levels and those are the kinds of experiences that, you know, if I can, if I can reach that, I think I can get a better understanding of the markets. And so when it comes to trading options and things like that, is that something that you would recommend to someone who has experience with retail trading with like candlesticks and and tactical indicators the way that I do or is that for someone else who has a different kind of experience like who what kind of people should be looking into starting to doing options oh <laughs> that's a great question <laughs> I heard a fantastic TikTok it made me laugh out loud and really really hard because this lady mentioned that you know options is a fantastic starting place and I'm like starting spot no really absolutely <laughs> not a starting spot where do you uh, where do you honestly, go? From I there? don't think that people should be trading options until they've learned how to trade stocks. Yeah. Like yeah. the 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 benefit of trading options is it gives you a much more defined risk, allows you to leverage. Mm -hmm. Uh but there's so many nuances with it, like we were just talking about with the, the different options are the Greeks that make up the value of that contract. If you don't understand how that contract is priced, then you have no business really trading them. Yeah. Absolutely. If you don't, 
Yeah, and that makes sense. If you don't understand the variables that go into making up something, then you probably shouldn't be messing around with it. And that probably that probably would be a pretty straightforward <laughs> rule across all things. If you don't understand the components of it, like you probably shouldn't mess Dan, with it. Dan used a really extreme example of like a Vega deflating uh, with an option contract uh, using the earnings example. But mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that happen like intraday even. Like you have a really strong move, it comes up and starts consolidating. Like you'll see the volatility start to die off. Hmm. Yeah. That's, you'll start yeah. to see the price of your options start to deflate because it's no longer moving the way it was just moving, you know, a, a minute or two ago. Yeah. Wow. Or, That's, it's it's insane to think about the fact that the way that your option might play out is completely affectable by the the false or biased opinions of other people. Yeah. Now there's other things you can see with the Vega, like you start getting really good at like understanding order flow and options. Like if you're like Vico over at TradePro, like you'll see something consolidating, then suddenly see volatility spiking before the actual you know price starts to move, and you can use that to anticipate movements as well. Yeah. Hmm. That's really that's really fascinating. I didn't know that you mm-hmm. can. I, I mean, if you can if you can use things like Vega and Theta to I mean anticipate breakouts, is that is that kind of what you're alluding to towards? I think with, I mean, you can anticipate a move happening. You won't necessarily tell you which direction it's going to be, but. But you can anticipate it happening. Like, yeah, you can, there's been times when I've seen, I've been watching something rotate thinking like, oh, this looks like a great opportunity. And then you start seeing the price ticking up, ticking up, ticking up, even though the the underlying hasn't really moved much. Like, oh, okay. Starting to get priced in some volatility. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's one of the things that. So for following like variables, that's one of the other things is that there's a lot of variables to follow with options. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to take oh, into consideration yeah. the price levels that your option will run into over time. And you can, either of you two can confirm or deny this at any point, just confirming my own understanding. There are price levels that you will run into at any time. There's news that you may have to take into consideration. There's the expiration that you have to take into consideration, the Greeks underlying that you're trading specifically. Um, all those things play a role in making decisions with options. Is that correct? Sounds reasonable to me, they, Dan. They, they should, yes. I know when I first started trading options, I was like, Greeks, who needs them? <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, that was an expensive lesson. <laughs> more, more, and you don't have to disclose any number, but more or less than the cost of trade of A. <laughs> more. <laughs> oh, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah. But it's yeah. good you got the education, though. That's, that's what most people won't get is, that, is the learning experience. That's the hardest thing to keep in mind, too, is to remember, like, when you take those big losses or you have a day like I did today where you're just like, okay, that's, let's, what did I learn for this? Like, what, let me make sure I get my money's worth out of this. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, that's such a huge part of psychology is just making sure that you're properly prepared for whatever outcome is going to happen. I mean, it's, some people like to say that they manifest winning trades, but that just means you imagine winning trades all the time. And if you imagine yeah. you winning trades all the time, can you imagine how cold that water is going to be when it hits your face with a loss? Mm-hmm. Yep. I can tell you exactly how cold it is. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, <laughs> everybody in this room knows specifically how cold it is. And so that's yeah. one of those things where then on the other hand, you get you know that moment where your understanding finally starts to pay you, right? Mm-hmm. And that actually leads me into a different question. I'm curious to know, do you guys have specific plays that you can recall to mind that you are like, yeah, that was that was when I kind of like when it started to click, and that's when it went right. Like, do you have do you guys have a moment like that? Like, oh, this options play did X Y Z amount, or I held this future and it printed for you know two or three days. Anything like that? 
yeah. Uh, I would say like the, the finally getting it to click in my head was actually when we first started doing the prep for the Back to the Future series we did with Order Fellow Labs. Hmm, nice. Having that moment where somebody else can take a look at my trade log and see everything that I've done and then point out like, okay, here's here's an issue right here where yeah. it doesn't look like you're you're holding your you're not getting the full payment out of like the positions you're holding i was scratching too early or i was taking profits too soon so my it was skewing my risk reward parameter even though i was using a two to one take profit to stop loss like i was very rarely ever seeing that two factor yeah and then still taking full losses yeah <laughs> on yeah. the other end of it yeah that the about ba- the balancing of your winners and your losers is almost as much of the art as just making sure you get good entries. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, so, so yeah, there was definitely uh, like an acceleration, I think in my development was during that. And he was also uh, um, turning us on to like back testing and like how to do it properly. So mm-hmm. uh, but those two things I think have helped me the most since, or at least those were the biggest gains that I can recall feeling and experiencing at the time. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Dan? Oh, um, for me, it, it, it has to be, uh, probably around the same time of Back to the Futures we were doing, and it might be, I think I think it's just the screen time, the amount of hours, like taking all the Trade Pro Academy courses and, and learning all those things is, is crucial, but it still requires knowing those things and then sitting in front of the screen and applying them over and over. And then it eventually, uh, you know, I've been doing it long enough that everything just really like congealed, congealed and, and clicked and was like, oh, Okay. Yeah. This is what they're talking about when they when, right with a, a good pullback setup. Yeah. And and being able to like nail one of those like perfectly, uh, it's it's like hitting that that golf shot where you 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 tee off and it just goes right on the green. It's like oh my god, did you, yeah. did you guys see that? Yeah. Like, I just have to. <laughs> I could just do that eighteen more times. Like I'd be good at this game. <laughs> right. <laughs> golf just got easy. Yeah. For yeah. one for one hole. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people relate to that moment where you, and I mean, by, by a lot of people, I think, I think that I'm talking about the gen, the majority of people who, who get into this and, and stick with it for a little bit. I mean, that there are a lot of yeah. people who get that win and then they're like, oh man, I can, this is easy now. And then, you know, they'll go get smoked and they'll remove yep. whatever, they'll get yep. back whatever they made. And so it just, it just becomes, it becomes a casino and it becomes like a, like a donation. You know what I mean? Some, some hedge fund manager on Wall Street got uh, another fifteen thousand bottle of fifteen thousand dollar bottle of wine because I was unwise with my college savings or something like that. <laughs> I mean, right, right. <laughs> oh, I hate thinking about those lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of situations that I mean it's it's not hard to to go online and find you know lost you know uh, lost pictures that are out lost porn. Yeah. Lost porn. You, you can say it. Lost yeah, porn on Reddit. Or with a dime a dozen, and I wasn't sure. Like, anyways, <laughs> there's lost porn out there at a dime a dozen, and I think that one of the things that consuming that does is keep your expectations really, really healthy. Like, because you yeah. you under you understand where what the what the result most of the time is going to be, right? You know, combining mm-hmm. wild turkey and Adderall is not going to help you. <laughs> All right, all right. I feel personally attacked now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, it gives you, you know, the confidence. It goes back to an old, um, an old kind of center point that I was was told about, and it's that you know your returns are directly correlated to a ratio of confidence to understanding. 
right? The more you mm-hmm. understand, the more your confidence decreases and less, you know, your, 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 your returns will lower. And this is obviously a joke, but what he then said in retort was, the person I was talking to, what he said in retort to me was that it's, it also works the other way around in that you might understand nothing, but you are at the peak of your confidence and the peak of your conviction. And that's, right. make the, that's the last time you'll ever make money. And I thought that was hilarious because that's reality for 90% of people who decide to trade yeah. and invest. And so it's just saying the knowledge is hurting me. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, think, yeah. you think about that huh. and it's like, whoa, but yeah, you get analysis paralysis. It hurts you. There's yep. I can, look at. Yeah. Yeah. I can, uh, I can attest to that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's a common thing. I I'm curious. What about, do you do to, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. no, no, please go ahead. I'm, I, I want to hear your question. I was going to ask how you uh, fight against that. Like, how do you guard yourself against that? What do you do to keep yourself from getting analysis paralysis? I mean, like like any other issue with the markets and any other problems that you have, when you go through routine and learning, it's you, you know, first and foremost, you have to deal with the consequences of it, right? You have to deal with the consequences Mm -hmm. of it to understand that it's there. With that being said, the consequences were missing out on fantastic trade opportunities. When I had conviction about a trade, when I only had three pieces of information or two pieces of information or four pieces of information. And I didn't have enough conviction even at that to make the trade. I went and looked for more, more variables and the time that I was looking for more of a reason or waiting for another reason to show up mm-hmm. move would happen. And that would be it. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I hate to describe it like this, but it's almost instilling yourself with a healthy amount of panic. That's saying that there is an understanding that, you are going to be needing to make a decision that will or will not profit you sooner or later. If you don't make the decision at all, nothing is going to happen. And that is, you know, it's not the worst outcome that can happen in a situation, but it's almost as bad as nothing happening at all. Um, well, how many times when you hesitate because you missed the move, does your decision making in process suddenly start to suffer because you've missed out on profits and now your brain is registering that as a loss? Oh, every time. Never put the risk on. Every time. Every single time I'm in a situation where I feel like I've missed the move, um, I, I w- it will always affect my, my trading decisions. And I think that that's part of um, being a trader. And that being said, it's also part of being risk averse. And so for me, you know, there's, there's the understanding that trends continue, you are more likely to catch a trend continuation trade than you are to catch a trend reversal. And so when I look specifically at those factors, um, I don't know, it leads me into a situation where... Did I drop out? No, I think he dropped out. Oh, I pressed, I pressed, uh, I pressed a mouse. I pressed a button on my keyboard. Um, oh, you might have hit the mute button. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, what, was, what, was last, what was the last thing? <laughs> what was the last thing you guys heard? The secret to making a million dollars in two days is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, secret, the secret to not getting analysis paralysis is just having faith in two or three specific pieces. You want to try to be as machine like as possible and minimizing those emotions is obviously like anyone can say you have to minimize your emotions, but that comes into just picking. You have to be really specific in picking a few things that you analyze. What would you say? I mean, let's let's jump back to the emotions thing again, because yeah, you hear some people say like you need to control your emotions, but lately we've been coming around to the idea that you need to understand your emotions, understand why you are getting reacting the way that you're reacting in certain scenarios, and then figure out how you can change those reactions to make them more beneficial for you. Yeah, that's abs- that's a fantastic point, and I can sympathize and understand that a little bit because you know, just in in a scenario that I was faced with recently, I was finding myself hesitant to 
place any trades, make any trades, do anything because I didn't, I was worried that the people who were taking example from me were going to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe make a wrong decision on account of they saw me make a decision and they use that as, you know, their reasoning. And so mm-hmm. I took a step yeah. back and realized that like, I'm not fully responsible for the decisions they make. When I realized that that was the reason I was feeling the way I was feeling, I was able to separate myself from it and be like, wait a minute, that's not beneficial to my, to my trading strategy, to my system, to anything that has to do with my risk management. And I think it's, I, I agree with you when you say that, you know, identifying which emotional, why you're feeling, what way you're feeling and how you make it advantageous. And so making, making that situation advantageous for me personally, just looks like making sure I act with conviction because I know that, you know, if there is someone watching me, they're going to do a better job, period. If I don't freeze up when I'm about to make a decision or don't say, well, maybe this is going to happen right after I make a decision. <laughs> getting in and saying that okay this is what i'm sticking to sometimes mm-hmm. that example is all that other people need oh man that's great uh i love that um yeah thank you one one last question for you then too we've talked a lot about education that's kind of been like seems like the focus at the beginning here yeah uh where did you find like the best resources like what were some of the things that you wish you would have found earlier in your trading career it's a fantastic question um like I said, I wish I wish I would have found Twitter earlier. Uh, as strange as that sounds to say, I would Twitter. Have, oh wow! Yeah, Twitter. Um, that's where I found the the Anderson and Rob, uh, Max Anderson and Robert Balan. Um, where I found both of them. Uh, getting analysis from other traders is really fantastic. So listening to um, other podcasts, I wish I, I guess you know, the biggest thing that I wish I would have done is get more exposure to other people. Mm-hmm. Does that does that kind of make sense? Like you, more exposure to different ideas or more yeah, exposure more, more, to... more exposure to ideas that came from people who were more cultured and more developed than me in markets, mm-hmm. right? That would be, that would be the biggest thing. And so the resources that I would have to point people to specifically, I mean, like I would say Seeking Alpha, um, that's a fantastic one for stock investors. I think that they display a lot of really helpful stuff. I think that Cheddarflow or uh, Unusual Whales are fantastic places to go if you are trying to find um, unusual, you know, options and things like unusual options flow and things like that. But mm-hmm. education, you know, I can't, I can't really recommend any specific format other than the ones that you guys. Uh, well, how about any books or anything that like really helped you? Um, if I had to recommend any book that legitimately taught me about helpful foundational investing knowledge, I would say it was probably the chartered market technicians level one curriculum because I knew that really, yeah, honestly, if I knew that anywhere else I was going to go, it was going to be hard for me to trust the information it was going to be chopped up and given a different way, whether or not it was like the ICT mentorship, market mentorship, or if it was going to be the IML Academy, you know, pyramid scheme, you know, them trading with harmonics and stuff like that. Whatever it was going to be, it was going to chop, this would be chopped up and repackaged in some way, shape or form. I knew mm-hmm. that I needed to get the basics. I knew that I needed to get good at the basics. I knew I needed to understand them front to back and recognize basic patterns anywhere that I could and maximize the potential that comes from those and combine that with sitting in front of the chart. Now, there are some YouTube channels like The Moving Average. He's a good one. Um, I can recommend him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then FX Evolution. He does Monday trading streams on Forex pairs and um, indices like the S&P 500. Those are good you know, free resources that you can use. But at the end of the day, anything you can pay for is probably going to be the best place to find information. So don't be afraid. Not always. But... Yeah, and yeah <laughs> not, not, not always. That's not always going to be the best thing either because there are lots of people out there who do just want your money. But you know, you do get, again, what you pay for. So I think when it comes to that, like trying to find something that you're comfortable paying for, like get the 
the the people who are like presenting the information should be present in social media. Like you should be able to go back and look like with George and Vico, you can go and find mm-hmm. their tweet histories and you can see what they're all about. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like what you don't want though, is to find somebody who's going to be charging you to give you a signal that tells you this is when you go long and oh, you yeah. just buy them yeah. and that's how it works. Yep. Yeah. Those Don't are question just, it. Just do it. No, just do it. No, <laughs> Yeah, that's not, that's not, it's not a wise way to go about it whatsoever. And that's why they're called signals or trade ideas because then that way they can't tell. Cause that's not education. Yeah. That's not education whatsoever. That's instruction. And that's, those are two completely different things. And if, if that's really what you want, like if that's like, you need to reevaluate like why you want to be a trader then, because yes. it sounds like what you really want is somebody else to blame when it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that was part of the reason when I went through signal groups, when I was like in, in year one, year two, and I tried to find one, I was like, okay, this isn't really like how this is supposed to go. I need to learn how to do it. And, and when you, <laughs> when you have that realization, then that you have to sit down and you need to do all the education, you need to do all the learning, and you need to do it the hard way. That's when you actually start your journey towards being a successful trader and a successful investor. So, uh, well said. Thank uh, you. I don't think we can end it any better than that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty no, cool. No, that's some good stuff. Well, thank uh, you guys both. I, I really appreciate the opportunity again. Oh, I'm glad this came about. I'm glad you, glad Dan ran into you, yeah. or, or you found uh, somebody at the, the, the college there. Nancy, yeah, yes, yeah. thank you. Shout out to Nancy. Real, real, real helpful there. You know, she, yeah, she's been fantastic. So, anyways, okay. um, I will let you guys go. But thank you again for the opportunity. Hopefully, well, give us a minute to to wrap up um, and make sure that the audio actually uploads. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also let me end the episode. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> Folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. We had such a great time with you, Dan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, we always appreciate somebody showing up and being honest, and especially being so well spoken and articulate. Uh, mm-hmm. If if you're up for it, we'd love to put you on the roster for maybe coming to one of our uh, roundtable square traders uh, episodes, where we try and match more experienced traders with more beginning traders and and have a have just a roundtable discussion yeah that would be fantastic i'd be more than interested thank you fantastic all right Mm -hmm. unfortunately though it is about that time we gotta shut up the shop for the day but we'll be back at you again soon with some amazing exciting well prolific i mean really (laughs) that's what that's where we're at now we're just getting such a wide variety of content uh so so dan yes at this point uh, uh Dan, Dan one, host Dan. Dan. Dan <laughs> I'll be Dan one. He can be Dan A. All right. Dan one, did you want to tell everyone where they could find more uh, if they want to follow Springer, Mr. Springer here? Um, twi- Twitter? Uh, I do. I didn't provide any of my social media handles. I can shout them out if you don't, if you guys don't mind. Are you more than willing? Yes, please. Please um, do. I have a Twitter. Uh, it's NoodleZZ Daniel. Uh, I made it when I was 15. Nice. And I've just been lo- uploading some of my uh, twi- uh, some of my reports and some of my analysis to there um my instagram is springer mma20 um you can see some of the trades i take there and some of my certifications from the company there as well i post pretty infrequently there um i also post uh some of my tiktok videos there as well in case i am uploading any upcoming analysis if you guys are interested what's the tiktok channel um it's called momentum swing we'll make sure there's episode links for all this stuff all right dan Hey, I appreciate it. You guys have been fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right, okay. Dan one. You can finish now. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Like, uh, you know, rate, share, subscribe. Let everybody know about this awesome, awesome 
China shop experience we got going. Uh, and until next time, happy trades. Bye, everybody. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.